it's Liz Kelly, and welcome to The Ringer Podcast Network. The Ringer is launching a new podcast from the guys who brought you a Cespedes family barbecue called Baseball Barbecue. Hosted by Jake Mintz and Jordan Schusterman, they're bringing you the good, the bad, and the utterly bizarre corners of the baseball world and everything that makes it special. Throughout the offseason, they'll dive into the rabbit hole on some of their favorite fascinations from the home run derby to baseball brawls and much more. Once the season returns, they'll break down the latest MLB news and developments. You can subscribe to Baseball Barbecue on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'll slip. What's up, man? You gotta go all the way over to Europe to get your ringer? Nah, he home now. But I see you pulling boys out the junior colleges. He from Eastside, went to Jumbo. Hey, yo, what's up, Playboy? How come you wearing that suit, B? For real, it's 85 fucking degrees out here, and you trying to be like Pat Riley. Man, look the part, be the part, motherfucker. So, Van, I decided my new thing is... I am going to try to figure out why every episode is titled the way that it is. And so episode nine is titled Game Day. And of course, there's a big reason why, a very obvious reason in that it's the infamous East Side, West Side basketball game. Mm -hmm. Avon's crew uh, versus a new character who we'll talk a little bit about, Prop Joe. But there's some real actual gamesmanship that's going on in this episode uh, that connects the theme of it being a game and the theme of game day to a bunch of different characters. So I guess when we talk about, um, as we often do at the start of this podcast, our biggest takeaways, um, the, the takeaway that stood out to me was not just, again, that rival basketball game, um, but also Wallace's decision to leave the game. You know, that was a big part, a big component of this. And then you have a junior college prospect engaging in a game old, in a age old game, rather, of earning some money on the side, that good old underground economy that the NCAA swear doesn't exist. <laughs> right. And right. Bubbles deciding or just in this place of deciding whether or not the game of trying to be a heroin addict of trying to score heroin all the time, if that shit is really worth it. And the cops pressing Chardine to get her in on the game. Um, and, you know, it's just a lot. It seemed like this theme of of everything being a game. It's the theme of The Wire overall, but it was especially noticeable because it was in, against the backdrop of an actual basketball game occurring in Baltimore. Um, so what were some of your takeaways from game day? The basketball game itself shows a little bit about uh, the inner workings of the east side and the west side. It's the first time we see Proposition Joe who we know Prop Joe uh, is a huge, huge character in Wire lore. Um, it's the first time we see a couple of things about his character that that make him who he is. He's one of my favorite characters in the history of The Wire. Reminds me uh, of, of a politician. In, he's kind of like the, the Clay Davis of the hood. He's got allegiances everywhere, little situations everywhere. Seems to kind of know the game. But I don't think um, his ain't shitness is as high though. I mean, it can't. It, it is. It, it, it does reach ain't shitness levels at various oh, no, points. You think it is? Uh, oh, okay. Uh, oh, 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 oh right. no, it, uh, it is. Like, uh, like prop, prop Joe is not. He's not vicious, but he is definitely he's a diabolical. User. That's for sure. Yeah, he's diabolical. He's not vicious. He's like you know. The, we, there are other characters 
you know, in the wire later on, you're going to see Marlo Stansfield, people like that, that are vicious. He's not vicious, but he definitely ain't shit. He'll like, like I, we're, something's going to happen in the very next episode that's going to let you know that Prop Joe will say hello to you, we cool, and then turn around and try to get you aced out in the next thing. He, that, that's the thing. The, 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 the bottom line is the bottom dollar for him. Um, but my takeaway from this is this to me is the episode where, where everyone realizes what the stakes in the game are. Like, it, it, this is all about the stakes. This is all about uh, what it really means to be involved in whatever it is that you're involved in. Okay. We see that from the, the, the wireless standpoint, uh, the police, um, you know, Daniels is, is being pushed up against the wall as far as, uh, how long this case is going, what this case is going to cost Daniels in the end. Daniels is putting his career on the line almost every single second that the wiretap exists and that's starting to pull on him. You know, Chardine is going to learn what it means to be a dancer in Orlando's and what can happen to you uh, just because you're in that environment. Um, Bubbles uh, is sort of learning what it's going to take for him to leave the game. There's stakes in that. There's a risk in that. There's something he has to do in that. So all framed around this basketball game uh, and what Avon's trying to do is the same thing. He always is trying to do the biggest thing with Avon. The biggest thing that Avon lays on the line is always his reputation. Always. Avon is an old school gangster and being an old school gangster, you see him at the very, in the very first scene of this, when he's looking down at the guy and the guy's uh, practicing basketball and they're talking about how they're going to buy him a player Avon, hyper competitive, like cannot stand losing and would rather lose on his sort of own merit than win by playing in a different way. Um, and so you see you see that and that kind of frames the whole thing about the episode. The stakes are getting high now. The stakes are very, very high. Uh, and everybody kind of has something into that. Yeah. Avon, as a as a competitor, is. Uh, an interesting glimpse into who he is as as a person because his reputation, as you said, does matter to him. What people think of him matters. And I think he wants to be respected in a certain way. So, you know, this idea that anybody in the street um, could get over on him, uh, could consider him weak, uh, which reminds you of another character that you mentioned that we'll meet further on down the line, Marlo. Um like anybody who is is willing to, um, you know, even put out in the atmosphere that, you know, this that that Barksdale, that Avon Barksdale is vulnerable that he takes great offense to. And there's not a I mean, he has a certain integrity in how he runs his business. But competition, as we'll see in the basketball game, really matters to him and the way that you do that, which you would kind of expect for somebody who has a background as a former boxer. Right. So he's used to competing athletically, um, you know, and so that kind of transfers that competitiveness that he has kind of transfer transfers into his business. That's a very that's a very astute observation, because like when you're in the ring, you think about a guy like Mike Tyson, uh, a big bullet in the in, in the Mike Tyson gun, a huge part of his arsenal was his reputation. 
for a long time, Mike beat people before he got in the ring with them. It was the fear of Mike Tyson. It was what he could do to you. Uh, it was how he could hurt you. You had seen him hurt other people. Um, and, you know, we love Mike, but largely once that veneer was sort of destroyed, um, it, 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 the, the chink in the armor became the San Andreas fault. And uh, people took advantage of that. And as far as Avon is concerned, that's one thing that you can't have happen on the street. Like that era, uh, that sort of feeling of invincibility is partly a bulletproof vest. It partly stops people from trying you, right? And if one thing throughout this entire season, this first season is Avon's being tried by everyone. Omar's trying Avon. The cops are trying Avon. Even Orlando tries Avon. Everyone is trying Avon. Prop Joe and the East Side bitches, as he likes to call them, <laughs> they tried him two years and succeeded, right? So a, a, a lot of the first season of The Wire is Avon Barksdale coming to terms with the fact um, that his rep is being tested and how he's going to react to that with his organization and the basketball game just kind of further kind of puts that out there. Yeah, it's, it also kind of crystallizes something that's always true is that the rise to get there is often much sweeter and much more gratifying than when you're actually there, wherever there is. And there's a whole lot of problems that come with being there as Avon is constantly reminded of is that he did all this to get this huge territory in Baltimore to build his empire but it's equally as challenging if not more challenging to try to hold on to that particular empire because as you said he has so many things coming at him in different directions so just a recap for people real quick about what happened in uh, this episode in episode nine game day uh, Wallace tells D'Angelo he's out he's getting out of the game D'Angelo gives him a little bit of money and he is he has assumed a very protective role over over Wallace, uh, despite the fact that he's trying to get him to move on from seeing what was the result of his phone call. And Avon's people know the Barksdale crew where Brandon was. And he's trying to get him through this. And so he becomes a bit of a protector, gives him some money. And later on in the episode, Poot, who has been concerned now for a little while, sees Wallace copping some drugs on the street. Um, you also had Prez, Lester and Sidnor, they start digging into Avon's real estate investments and his political connections, uh, campaign contributions, and find some surprises there. And the cops finally get eyes on Avon because of this basketball game. Huge. And, which is a huge part of this and has some ramifications um, that I'll get into later when we do file this away for later. But the cops, they're not the only ones who are on to Avon. So is Omar, who is hunting him as well. And one of the big scenes in this episode is that Omar gets the drop. Thanks to Prop Joe, <laughs> your boy. And uh, he is fortunate to have escaped. He misses he misses uh, Avon and he himself takes a bullet in kind of the upper right shoulder area, if you will. Chardine discovers what really happened to Keisha at Stinkum's party, which D'Angelo also attended. And he lied about the fact that they took care of Keisha, took her to the hospital. That's not what happened at all, as she finds out. And their relationship is over. <laughs> um, and, you know, what episode would be complete without Bubs and Johnny uh, having a scheme that fell through? Because that's kind of the way that things work for them. 
Bub tries to use a fishing hook to steal what he thinks is a bag of heroin, and it turns out one to of my be- favorite scenes <laughs> in <it>? Wire history. <laughs> yes, I love that. I love scene. the ingenuity. Like that, mm-hmm. I, I I have to say, even though yeah, I know it's drugs is bad, blah blah blah, same things that you you, all, you would normally say. I felt like Bubbles that scheme was so well thought out and required such ability to be able to lure it down unseen, hook it in. Like he deserved a payoff that was more than Arm and Hammer. You know? Yeah. I mean, I'm gonna be honest with you, but once again, this goes to my theme of stakes. The like Bubbles steals that dope, right? And when he steals that dope, he goes home, he shoots it up, it's arm and hammer. They're not high. But for that dope, he had to watch somebody get beat down. And he sits there with that. He looks at something that didn't turn into the high that he wanted. And he says, I almost got killed for that. Right. I almost got killed for that. And it didn't even get me high. He's starting to not be okay with what it takes to live the type of life that, he, that he's living. Omar, too. Um, uh, Just real quick. Omar... We see Omar hunting in this episode, but we also see Omar as the hunted in this episode. We see the deep shadow conditions that he's living in, sneaking away with a box of chicken, going into a dark place. It's take the stakes of the whole game are taking their toll on Omar too. All of this stuff is stressful, and this is one of the episodes where you start to see it. Yeah, um, you've said it a couple times. Um, our introducing our new character that we see in this is Prop Joe, who becomes, as as Van said, uh, so true, one of the major figures, complex characters uh, here in The Wire. But now we're going to take a deep dive into a character. Um, we've talked about her a little bit in bits and pieces since she first appeared on screen because we obviously we've seen this. We know where this is going. And it's just interesting seeing her on this journey, nevertheless. But our girl, Shardine, <laughs> mm. who... Um, is about to become a a significant resource for the police as they further try to infiltrate Avon's organization. Um, what strikes me about Chardine is kind of the same things that struck Kima about this. It's, it's funny because I don't know if this was done purposely by, I assume everything that David Simon and Ed Burns did, did this was always with intent and always um, with intentionality, as they say, and always with purpose. But think about the first time she appeared on screen versus what she how she gradually appears on screen. And by that, I don't know if it's just me, but she seemed to look more innocent the more screen time that she got. Like she seemed to look more, I mean, she's not innocent, but she kind of had um, more, you know, naivete about her. Like it, that seemed to be played up more. And maybe you just noticed it because there is, even though she's a pretty woman, there's definitely a purposeful difference with how she looks with her glasses and without. And so she started yeah. to look younger and more like it was just it, I feel like they must have done something or done that on purpose so that by the time she starts to work with Lester and Kima, you like, wow, you know, this you you kind of have a different picture of her because at first she just seemed like every other girl up in Orlando. And then gradually, as we kind of get to know her, she seems she has a little bit more layers, a little bit more humanity, which is what D'Angelo likes about her, is that even though she's in his world, understands his world, understands some of the choices that he has to make, she hasn't been completely lost and sucked up in it. You know, there are girls turning tricks in Orlando's, girls doing drugs, girls doing weight, girls winding up like Keisha. And she's not really involved in that because despite what she does, she still has kind of a code since that's also a prevalent theme in the wire to what she does and how she operates. 
one thing that this show does better than any other show that's ever been created is it weaponizes your preconceived notions. So whatever you thought about whatever it was that someone was doing, The Wire makes you look at it in a different way. Oh, you think drug addicts are the bottom of society. Okay, well, let me show you one with heart, with skills, with bravery, with ingenuity, okay? Oh, you think that the cops are the shining beacon uh, holding American society by uh, to, 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 together with the, the, the force of their great will. Well, let me show you that they drink, that they engage in police brutality, that they, uh, the, they, 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 they take money. The cops that you like, some of them are on the take. Okay. And even if you, even if you, you hate police, let me show you that sometimes these guys get deep into situations and they care and they put their hearts into it and they're dedicated. The same complexity with the drug, with the drug guys in the drug trade and everyone else. It takes what you think about a part of society that uh, you've already made up your mind about and makes you re-examine it, not in a heavy-handed way, just through the details of a, of an actual fully formed character. That exists with Chardine as well. When you first meet Chardine, uh, you you be honest with you, you judge her because she's a stripper. You think you know what strippers do. And wait, you, and you judge her because not only is she a stripper, she's a stripper in Orlando's. In Orlando's, right? Yeah, in Orlando's. One of the worst strip clubs I've ever seen. <laughs> and one of the worst strip clubs on television. Um, but and, and by the way, when you see her, she's working somebody. She's trying to get a drink off someone. The, the first thing that kind of tells you that she's a, a, a fair-minded person um, is when she gives that guy's money back. When she gives that guy's money back, you see, okay, well, she's not a barracuda like we're told that sex workers are, like we're told that strippers are. She's not. She's a person, and this is a, a means to an end for her. This is her occupation. And the deeper you get into that character, you start to notice that she's a citizen. Everybody else that's in this game, specifically in this episode, we're talking about the stakes of the game, we're talking about the game, everyone else has made the decision to some point to be either in the game or to get out of the game. Chardine is a character who doesn't realize she's in the game. She doesn't have any clue that she's in the middle of it. She doesn't know what those guys up there are capable of, okay? She doesn't know what's happening at, 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 like, at the bottom. She's someone that works for drinks and tips. I mean, and she remember, she that. didn't even know until D'Angelo pointed out to her that Orlando was just a front man. Right. Mm -hmm. She thought he was the boss, so she doesn't even know. That part of her character represents a lot of people that just by proximity are caught up in this right versus wrong, good versus evil, system versus system battle and don't even know it. And when the cops who uh, uh, really a cop is just a criminal with a different set of priorities because the it, it, it really is that way, because the same obsession is seen on the different sides of these lines. Both cops and criminals are, like I said before, they're cunning. They can smell, they can feel the person in the room that's going to be the easiest to turn or the weak or, or, or the weak link in the chain. And they felt that about her. Like they show that scene. Look, which one? Like, like animals, they sense that she is the one who is the citizen. And boy, were they right. They were right because. She's got a conscience. She's got a soul. Um, and once she learns what kind of game she's in the middle of, she immediately exits. Yeah. And it it was uh, it struck me that when they were interviewing her before they even fully 
revealed why they selected her and why they wanted to talk to her, she kept saying, oh, it's just I just do drinks and tips. That's it. You know, uh, uh, or, you know, that's all I work for. You know, I don't do all this other stuff because to your point, she didn't even realize what she was really involved in or was a part of. That's not to, um, you know, that's not to say that, again, she's some kind of wide eyed innocent, but she was approaching this as, yeah, she might hustle a drink here or there or, you know, get some sucker to like, you know, give her some tips or whatever by batting her eyelashes and everything. But she's not in this for nefarious reasons. It's just literally to support herself and just kind of, you know, move on from it. Whereas everybody else has invested so heavily um, and they're the cost of what they're doing at least she thought was significantly higher than hers. And she learned that even though she wasn't even that deeply involved, that she was still subject uh, to the same terrible circumstances or terrible consequences that the rest of them were. What I loved about the scene when she left D'Angelo was when she said to him, What do I look like to you? What do you mean? What do I look like to you? You look like a, a girl, a woman, a beautiful woman. You're fine. What? I don't look like trash to you. Baby, this ain't about what you do. I don't look like something you could roll up in a rug and throw in the trash. She wanted him to understand the relationship between the girl that winds up dead, partying with them, and her. She's like, we're the same person. And you may look at her or try to rationalize, you know, what happened to her by saying, oh, she's at this party. She's with Weebay. She's with Stinkum. Dudes that she know ain't shit. It's a bunch of drugs. It's self-inflicted, but that's a situation that if not for maybe a little bit more common sense or if not for choosing not to go out one night, that she could have been in herself. And so she wants him to understand how you treated her and how or you collectively, as in her, we based income, everybody who was in that house is how somebody could treat her at any given moment. And so he couldn't even understand. That's why he's like, what do you mean? Uh, what do I think of you? I think you're beautiful. That's the first thing that he said. And yeah. I noticed sometimes a lot in their interaction, he commented on how she looks, you know, right. I mean, because I mean, I mean, uh, stupid. Of course, she's a she's a beautiful woman. But yeah. sometimes I think he was very guilty of like not seeing who she really was. He under mm -hmm. she understood him more than he understood her. Yeah, I think that D'Angelo, as as human as he is, there's still a, a a streak of usury in him because remember who remember How who could he it not is be? Now, right. D'Angelo himself, that 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 scene where she leaves him is a very powerful scene because the audience knows how the death of the girl affected D'Angelo. The audience knows. We know that what she's saying to him isn't all the way true, right? We know that once he saw that, he came home and he said to her, I don't think this is for me. You know, I, I don't I, I don't think what's going on with, 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 with my uncle and them, I don't think this whole thing is for me. And she told him to get out. He, we know that he's been struggling with that. The only difference between the two people in that scene is that one person is aware of everything that's going on that, Eggs get broken when you're making these drug uh, organization omelets, right? And that that happens, and the other person doesn't. One person, D'Angelo, gets it. Like, it's disgusting, and I might not want to be a part of it, but, you know, sometimes people like Brandon get their eyes burned out, and and, and, and stuff happens like that. It's a, it's a reality of that. Chardin doesn't know anything about that. 
So the only thing that she sees when she looks at him now is a monster. She sees someone who's capable of 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 at least condoning or being a part of a, a crew that would do something like that to someone who she sees as being just like her. She now knows what they think of her. They think that she that she's disposable. And now she's looking at him like, well, do you think that same thing of me? Who am I really with? And because he knows who he is, uh, he's having problems connecting to it. Um, but no, that 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 scene, you know, the wire, like we keep saying over and over again, it's always a story of worlds colliding. But oftentimes these people don't have to be from two specifically different like uh, geographical worlds, right? It's not, we're not talking about the projects against necessarily CID downtown or major crimes. Sometimes people are in the same place, but mentally, physically, and spiritually, they're in two different worlds. And that happens in the show too. And that's what happens in that scene. And she becomes a very important character to establish just a regular citizen that's caught up in this. But it just kind of shows you Sometimes, you know, where the cops and where they get their informants, how they turn people. And that's very important to know uh, as the series continues to move on. What do you think happens if D'Angelo had been honest with her from the beginning about what really happened to Keisha? I think th- a lot of things are different. And I, I think I think that like that, like if he is honest with her um, and she puts a human face to his pain, then you think the she cops sticks might- around. The cops might not get to her. Mm. The cop, if she, if he puts a human face, listen, this is what I'm involved in. This is what they did to this girl. Uh, like I can't do this anymore. It now makes him at least not one of them. Right. And so if he's not one of them, she might think in some way um, that he's either redeemable or there's some sort of future with them, but she'll never now after she learned the way she learned, she'll never now not look at him as one of them. Yeah, because I I had that thought as I was watching that, because part of the reason that he liked her and that they were able to develop such a a close relationship and what felt like quickly, I mean, we don't know what kind of time span they're working with, is he could relate to her. And you would think because he could relate to her and they could relate to each other, that that might have been something that he would have chosen to share with her. Uh, Because at the very least, especially with her encouraging him to leave that life alone. And she already was thinking that this is maybe something that's not for me either, that together they might've been able to sort through that, you know, sort through their kind of individual desires to, to leave the game. I mean, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not saying it would have turned out day, though, rosy, but you know. Yeah. But at the end of the day though, it's a murder basically, or at least a negligent homicide. He's probably not going to talk to her about that. Right. You know what I mean? Like he can't even talk in the car with Weebay. <laughs> he's probably like, he's, he's, much less he's when he at home. Gonna, yeah. He's probably not going to talk to her about that. Like, he's, he's been indoctrinated to the degree to where he's probably not going to come home and be like, look, man, the party was cool. Until <laughs> right, uh, I came back yeah, with the liquor. I, with the liquor, <laughs> and next and thing I know, <laughs> everybody was gone, and a human being died. No, so he probably wasn't going to do that. But yeah, I, I do think that if he could have mustered it up, things probably would have been different. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, more way down in the hole. Hey, this is Brian Koppelman, and this is David Levine. 
We are the showrunners and co-creators of Billions, and this is... Behind the Billions. Behind the Billions, where we're going to talk about how we make the show, the decisions we made in terms of uh, what we decided to shoot, how we wrote it. We are going to share the inside skinny on what it's like to make the show. Uh, Dave, I'm sorry I just said inside skinny. You did. I mean, you've set the bar high. We have a lot to provide now. And we will be providing it on Sunday nights right after the show. We'll have guests who are actors on the show will come in and talk to us, people who make cameos on the show. Should we interview crew members too? Well, we're going to talk about some crew members, maybe standout crew members, superstars, crew superstars, if you will. Really psyched to do this, psyched to talk to everybody about the show. Listen in on Sunday nights right after the show airs on Showtime. As we run down now our best scenes, is it's kind of hard not to start with the basketball game. Oh, of course. First off, Van, I mean, as a sports fan, uh, as we both are, how would you rate the basketball action in the basketball scene? Uh, not great. Not great. <laughs> what did uh, yeah. did they... Not not great. I mean, look, it's not a basketball. You know, people have been reminding me is that I love the feedback that we're getting. Uh, on social media about way down on the hole. We really, really appreciate you guys listening to us and, and watching the show back with us. Uh, it's really a treat to talk about it. But, um, you know, The Wire isn't an action show. Like people, when, when we, everyone's really struck with the trivia that you gave about, you know, prayers being only cop Yeah, they keep trying gun. to prove me wrong. Look, people, for the thousandth time, Buck just talked about shooting the mouse. He didn't, he, he you, didn't you, you, you never saw it. He just talked yeah. about it. <laughs> right. So it's not an action show. So, the basketball in the, I compare it to other basketball movies that I watch, right? Wood Harris himself was in Above the Rim. And so you watch that and you think, oh, that's good basketball. Or White Man Can't Jump, where the basketball is beautifully sh-. Not this. A lot of these moves is really not going, you know, I'm, 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 I'm picking some people's pockets here. Right. But for the purposes of the show, you could see what was supposed to be happening. The basketball action itself, not great, but the scene works. Yeah, well, the 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 power, the most powerful part of the basketball action is, of course, when Avon confronts the official. And he is mm. incensed. Um, and this, you know, and we can dive into this in a second. This is after he was up by 12. Up by 12 at the half, Van. All right? Mm-hmm. And it yeah. came down to a, a, a last-second play. His guy got completely, he got bad boys, 88 mugged, all right, <laughs> going up to the hole. No call by the official. Prop Joe's team winds up winning, and he also winds up winning some money off of Avon. And Avon immediately goes up to the ref, jumps in his shit because he didn't make a call. And then he was further incensed because this clear this official is truly afraid for his life, as he should be when you're officiating a game between two powerful drug lords. Look, if you want, I can put time back on the clock, replay it. You talking about a do-over, baby? Are you talking about a fucking do-over? That's not how the game is played. You can't do that. Fuck, believe this shit, nigga. Talking about doing it again. Look, I don't want any trouble, okay? Ain't gonna be no trouble over no ball. Man, you're supposed to be the ref, right? Don't you stand up for your fucking self, you pussy. You can't just let any old motherfucking nigga get in your face. You understand? I don't know what is more insulting to Avon. The fact that he didn't make a call or the fact that he had the nerve to offer that he put time back on the clock. I don't know what was worse. By far, it's the second. Yeah. It's like, by far, it's the second one. When Avon runs over there, he's protesting it. But remember, 
Avon respects strength. He respects resolve. He respects what he sees in himself. Like, yo, you the ref. Like, you the ref. Like, you, like, like he lost. Uh, he was mad at him. Like, a guy like Avon Barksdale can be mad at you and still respect you. As a matter of fact, you'd rather have his anger than his disrespect. If he's angry with you, it might be some way to parlay out of it. If he doesn't respect you, he's going to take what he wants from you. You know what I mean? Um, with 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 reckless abandon. So it was by far the second. He was, Avon was actually disappointed in the ref. And one other thing about that scene that I like is, is we see Avon get played. Like Prop Joe, it's a what a hell of a way for Prop Joe to be. Prop Joe, like we, we see how much they set up in the top of the show, how much this meant to Avon. And it, there was there's really been no other time that I really feel like a character came in getting such a big W. Like Prop Joe. Like right away. <laughs> schooled Avon, right? He outthought Avon right away. Uh, and that just tells you that they're rounding Avon's character out a little bit more, telling us who he is completely. And Pop Joe, they're just building him up. They start him off with a big win, man. That's a big win to start your wire career off with. Yeah. Um, and, and to give getting more detail about how he swindled him, I mean, he clearly, obviously, uh, they both had ringers, right? So that's kind of, you know, a bit of a watch. That was the whole reason why Avon goes to this junior college, because he's trying to get his own ringer and again, re- reverse his losing streak. But you know, he is, to your point, he, it's like he's gotten gotten over on twice because Prop Joe takes his money after kind of lulling him into a false sense of of, of victory and comes back to win. And, and look, that, that could have gone either way. I mean, it was a gamble for Prop Joe because it did come down to the last second. It's not like after yeah. being down by 12 that he suddenly, um, you know, he just ran off and, and ran away with it in the second half. That's, you know, it, it was, it was you know, still with a victory was still within reach, you know, for Avon. So to lose his money and to, for him as a athlete, former athlete himself, to have the game kind of spoiled by a lack of control by the official, it was just the L's all around for him. And we're not used to really seeing Avon in that position. And so um, I thought it was interesting, though, that he didn't, uh, I'm just gonna say this. Like, yes, Prop Joe may not have been Pat, Pat Riley, but um, you lost a 12 point lead. So, what the hell was going on with your team in the second half? That's I, yeah. I was just curious to know that. Like, you know, there's blame to be had by anyone, and perhaps you should have started with yourself as to why you, who also still has good players, why you lost a double digit lead against Prop Joe and let the whole West Side down. Yeah. Well, well, no, he let it was Avon West, let the West yeah. Side down. Yeah, Avon let the West Side down. The the, the whole thing uh, was, was crazy and just kind of even Prop Joe just exerting a little bit more control when the ref is freaking out. He's like, I don't want no trouble. Prop Joe says very softly, he goes, ain't going to be no trouble over no ball. Prop Joe basically guarantees uh, the guy's safety. Like, he ain't going to do nothing to you. Yeah, it's a basketball Which game. in your mind, it makes you think, does Prop Joe have more weight than Avon? I, it, it's just an interesting way. It like yeah. and but but right and once again though, Avon gets that right. Avon says, "Okay, tell your people to come down here. We all good. Everything cool. If I see you on the west side without a ball, I'm gonna light your ass up." He threatens to kill him. Like it threatens like if I see you on the west side without a ball, I'm gonna light your ass up. That is not the only good scene though. Obviously, Pootsie and Wallace Cop is a huge huge part of um, when, when Pootsie sees Wallace Cop. He now knows uh, how far off the deep end Wallace has gone. When the stress is getting to Daniels, Daniel sees his cops. They're they're making headway. 
30 bills right off the corner. You all got the pit boys on a fresh payphone, right? Yeah, I'm McCullough. You take pictures? Fuck oh, yeah. Good, we're gonna need an additional affidavit to get up on that phone. Another 30 days, McNulty? What the fuck did I do? One day he fights, next day he's ready to roll over. Does he want this fucking case or not? Give him some slack, Jimmy. He's wrestling with the angels on this one. Everything is weighing on Daniels. Once again, you, you pay into the stakes on this game. It affects you playing at this level. But two specifically, I love. Number one, I like a kind of a twofer scene, which is both Omar living in his deep shadow conditions. Uh, also, this is the first time we see Omar in the whole Omar's coming situation. When he's walking through basically as invincible as anyone in the project, shotgun hanging from his waist, telling people, yo, drop that weight or else I'm going to come in there and put a bullet in somebody's behind. He is completely confident when he's out there with his shotgun, knowing what's going to happen. And the guys up there, they could have easily, if someone had half an aim, you could blow the back of his head off. But it's like Omar says, what if you miss? And it just shows you, once again, we're talking, we were talking earlier with Avon about how much reputation shields you from repercussions from people. That's what, that's, you know, that's what uh, Omar, his character is sort of uh, exhibiting in that scene. And then you see on the other side of it, when he comes home and things are quiet from him, he doesn't have a reputation to protect him from the dark. He's got to protect himself. And the last scene that I'll, that I'll point out really quickly is when we see Bubbles talk to his sister. He comes from somewhere. I, I want just as a, like when you're driving down the street and someone comes up to you and they need a quarter, they need 50 cents, they need a dollar, they're asking you for something. That's a person. Like that's a, that's a human being. That person came from somewhere. That person had parents. That person has, has relatives. That person has a lot of people most likely that loves them. No one is born into here, blah, blah, blah. Like somewhere along the lines, something happened to kind of put that individual in the situation that they're in. And a lot of times we don't think of it like that because we think that, you know, if I ever got in trouble, who could I call? There's a bunch of people I could call that would stop me from getting there or maybe not as many as you think. So when Bubbles walks into a suburban neighborhood. He actually even salutes the flag on his way in, right? Walks into a suburban neighborhood, salutes the flag, knocks on the door, and a woman appears who has a regular life. And you see the pain on her face. She's looking at her brother. She's looking at her brother. She knows what this means. Maybe Bubbles has stole from her in the past. Maybe Bubbles has used her in the past, all because of the dope. But he's got love too. He came from somewhere too. It's just a very powerful scene and we, we've been talking about addiction the last couple of episodes. If you've ever known anyone that's gone through that, you also know the people that they took with them down that road. You've spoken very, very eloquently about it. Um, and, you can, and you can see that. I, every time I watch the show, most of the stuff with Bubbles gets me. Uh, but that scene always gets me. And even when the little boy runs to the door or when the little girl runs to the door, uh, it's just... There's so much a part of his life that he's missing out on. Yeah. And, um, you know, and for her to have even it was a combination, I think, when he showed up at, of, at the door of of anger, um, concern 
and also all those other things that you mentioned before. And the fact that she's still, despite going through all of that, able to extend a little bit of an olive branch to him is, yeah. is, is very significant. Because um, the other side of it is that they're, you know, addicts break a lot of hearts, especially their families. And, um, you know, it can be difficult for family members to find it in them to give them that one more opportunity when they burn through so many of them. Um, and on a lighter note, I'm sure the... Um, you know, I'm sure the uh, Make America Great crowd is is very excited that Bubs actually saluted the flag before you walked past. Man, why? He's an American. Glad he's an American. Love, Look, love, he's, something he's, for everyone he's, in, in the wild. Yeah, he's, he's an American. Why? There's nothing wrong with saluting the flag. Like he, could come, he comes, he walks by, he salutes he the flag. Who the knows? Flag. Bubbles might enlist one day, Jamil. <laughs> Like, like you never know. He saluted the yeah, flag. He's okay. a good man. I don't feel positive about that drug test. That's for sure. Uh, two smaller <laughs> scenes I want to point out to that also struck me was Hurricane Carver listening to Poot have phone sex. All right. Love it. <laughs> you know, we're supposed to turn off the tap. It's non pertinent. Hey, fuck no. This is too good. Oh, daddy. Yeah. <laughs> There's no way I'm transcribing this stuff. Now, Man, on a scale of one to ten, like how grimy do you have to be to have phone sex on a payphone? Like that's it's pretty. That's pretty, it's pretty out there. That's pretty grimy. It's pretty dog. out there. That's pretty yeah, grimy. That's, that's that's pretty grimy. Like, and what do you do? Like, if you're having phone sex and somebody else wants to use the phone, are you like, one second, hold on, real quick? Yeah, girl, what's popping with that? No, I got like thirty seconds more, bro. Chill. Like, why? How do you do that? Like, what's like? Yeah, that's pretty grimy. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. I never even yeah, thought about that. Gotta, Gravy. And um, you you said it before uh, so well a minute ago in talking about the similarities or there being very subtle small differences between police officers and criminals. And I thought that was kind of illustrated a little bit when Herc, when you saw Herc and Carver enjoying the East Side West Side basketball game right next to Bodie and Poop. Ain't y'all on the clock? You? We on break. Then we on a break too. Yeah, and they're just talking like you would never have known that Hurricane Carver had handed Bodie about 75 ass whoopings um, mm -hmm. in that moment. But it's just like, you know, I mean, with especially with with Carver uh, being from those neighborhoods, I mean, it, it's just was something that related all four of them in that moment. It's kind of like they have this weird they're not they're not co-workers. They're like sort of colleagues in a sense because their job is to kick their ass their job is to evade the ass kicking and or incite the ass kicking so nice to see they're in the same league they're, they're right. in the same league yeah they're the same league yeah, yeah. like yeah it's they're, it's they're the lakers and the celtics they're not they're, they're like seriously they're, they're, they're not the co-workers <laughs> they're both in the nba they're they're, play, they're exactly they're playing the same game so they have a certain respect for the uh for the other side of it yeah which gets back to um, the whole theme of this episode. Another thing that, that kind of came out that I had uh, in this uh, particular episode that I had a question about is, okay, so, you know, um, you know, one of the things that happened is that Herc and Carve, they bust WeeBay for, um, you know, when they bust WeeBay, they take a bunch of cash out. Uh, there is, I don't know if it was an outright kind of, I don't know if they were outright saying, hey, we would take this money, but but they sort of go through a hypothetical. They go through a what if. They wind up really losing the money. And they've alluded to this a, a few times about Daniels and his past. And it made me wonder, was Daniels really dirty or was he just connected to a dirty unit? Because even though they say at the very beginning of the series that like 
you know, he he has or not the very beginning, but there the information comes out that he had a whole bunch of cash in his bank account that was sort of unaccounted for. He's part of the dirty unit that Burrell, uh, Burrell is sort of um, holding over his head. But you never really know if he was somebody who actually took money or just somebody who was kind of in the proximity as it was being taken because his reaction to Herc and Carve and the missing money is really it's really strong for somebody who has allegedly done it before. Yeah, so you see Herc and Carver uh, like contemplate taking the money. You then see Carver say, listen, if it comes out on the wire that we didn't return the right amount of money, then they'll get us. You didn't think about that. Right. Shows you that, and that's another show that shows you Beavis and Butthead aren't quite equal. Carve one up on Herc. Oh, definitely. The oh, he's winning that sure. IQ test all day long. Um, yeah. Um, I, I think that Daniel's reaction to that has more to do with his past in terms of knowing what what happens to you after you're involved in something like that. Uh, I don't know whether or not it proves very much about whether or not he was an active participant, but I know that it, when you watch it, he's seen what it does, so he doesn't want to have anything to do with it now. There's two ways that you go like when you fuck up in that way, right? Either you become, you make a career out of that, or you see what that does to you and to other people around you. Like, like Daniels doesn't want to have uh for to to have for Herc and Carr to have suction with Herc and Carr for the rest of his career and make them snitch. And he wants to do the job the right way. And if you want to do the job the right way, you simply can't do that. Uh somewhere along the lines, he saw what the wrong way to do policing was, what the wrong way to kind of do it was. And he doesn't want to have a part of that. And that's one of the uh redeeming things about Cedric Daniels is that um, more than anybody else in the wire, he's trying. So I don't know whether or not he did what he did in the past. I think he probably did because, you know, no one's born flawed and no one's born perfect either. Um, but I think whatever the case is, that he's come to a situation in his life to where uh, he doesn't want to have that happen anymore. And he certainly doesn't want to have it happen with officers in his command. Let's run through some of the the best quotes or lines uh, from this episode. Of course, I love the fact that Prop Joe did come to the basketball game in a full suit, <laughs> as Avon pointed out, despite it being 80 plus degrees. And he says to Avon, look, look the part, be the part, motherfucker. motherfucker. <laughs> Love that. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's a truism that. for life. Uh, you right. mentioned this a second ago. It's something about that. Ayo. Something yeah. about that, right? As he's right. saying that throughout the project. Ayo. And also adding nursery rhymes to, to it, which is a nice little touch. Y'all need to open this door, man, for a huff and puff. Come on now, by the hands of your chinny chin chin. Big bad wolf. Love it. Don't love it. Gotta love that. And what I what I do also love is this series forces viewers who watch it to think. And they're constantly, they're constantly egging you on, nudging you, prodding you to make bigger, deeper connections. So I'm always here for every time there's any reference to how drugs and money the difference in this and and following each and how different that is so it's lester is that as lester has often said throughout this series more than the drugs it's the money that matters and mm -hmm. i think i love that constant reinforcement of that as a principle is that people get so caught up in and how much drugs and all that no you got to follow the money the money unravels all of it and so i appreciate the fact that they force people to connect the dots what about you I had 
look the part, be the part as one of my favorite quotes, because it's just something that like we, we've talked about that indirectly throughout this look the part, be the part. It's very important. Not just in life, you aspire to be something you want to look like. I tried to be mature about this, but my favorite quote of the entire episode is from Poot's phone sex session. When he Let tells the girl. No, 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 it's not, no, no, no. Try to guess. No. Yeah. Try to guess. Is it the, try to guess. Is it the three holes? It's not the three okay. holes. <laughs> I like when he tells her, because remember, he's trying to be sexy, right? He said, you're going to look like a glazed donut. Touch yourself. Oh, yeah. Phone sex? Shit was hilarious. You know you're supposed to shut down after 90 seconds if it's not pertinent. That's something that a 16-year-old would find sexy, sexy to say to a woman. Right. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Girl, you're gonna look like one of them Dunkins that we get or a Krispy Kreme with a high sign on. You know what I'm saying? That's something that a 16-year-old, because remember, these are these are kids that we're listening to doing this. These are kids. So when I heard when I hear that, every time I hear that, girl, you're gonna look like a glazed donut. Like I'm trying to think of all the times I've been successful. I don't think comparing someone to a pastry has ever, ever, ever been the way that the deal has been closed. It's just very interesting. Girl, you know what I'm saying? I'm just trying to think about that. Girl, I'll tell you what. Come over here. When you leave, you're going to look like a cheese Danish. Like, I don't know. It's just weird. It just, I, I knew what he that way. I knew, I knew what he means. We all, you know, we, we, are, we know adults. Means, we know what he right? means. We know what he means. But it's just funny. Every time I hear that. It, I, I laugh. That's my favorite quote from the episode. Uh, that's a great one. Um, unfortunately, whenever I, when I heard that, both the first time and every time since, it just it's a very triggering moment because I had a, a friend of mine, one of my girls, told me a really unfortunate story about a sexual experience, and the term "glazed donut" was used, and so hey! I, I can't see it every time. I'll be like, yeah. "Okay," so that just takes What's me her? back to to that place. <laughs> You got you got her Instagram. What's her Instagram? <laughs> no, and and by the way, <laughs> she wasn't the one who looked like the glazed donut. It was the person. All right. that we, like, okay. we, we just stopped it right there. Uh, uh, yeah, we stopped. Right, yeah, yeah, we, we stopped stop right, right there. there. Right. Any other lines uh, jump out for you? Oh, I'm sorry. I threw you with the glazed donut. <laughs> you, you did. Um, no, I, actually, that's it. Um, I think that we really we've covered uh, a, a couple of things. I think that what I actually had was I had the uh, Omar Huff and Puff line. That's the bronze medalist for me. The look the part, be the part, motherfucker. That is the silver medalist for me, and the gold medalist for me is You're right. the glazed donut. That is, <laughs> I love that. With game like that, how is you know? It's it's no wonder that Poot is the lady. No man, wonder, ladies, that man. is the lady killer that he is. Exactly. All right. In terms of fouling this away for later, a lot of fertile territory in this mm. one. Um, I think the biggest one is Prop Joe selling out Avon. Uh, to Omar because that yeah. him selling them out, him outwitting um, Avon in general is just a huge precursor for how things go in their relationship as Prop Joe becomes a more relevant and important character in this series. Uh, also, on the smaller level, Lester telling Daniels that among the properties Avon owns is a funeral home. Gee, that becomes a pretty good, a pretty big mm -hmm. location character in this scene. Uh, what do you have on your list? Uh, Waylon talks to Bubbles about hitting bottom. Um, when, when, they're, uh, when they're down there and the testers are coming out, Bubbles sees Waylon, uh, Waylon, amazing character played by Steve Earle, uh, and Bubbles thinks Waylon is down there to cop. 
Waylon's actually down there to stop. I think it's his nephew uh, from being out there. And he says that he hasn't seen the bottom yet. Uh, and it's only until he sees the bottom that um, uh, he's going to decide to change his life. Bubbles thinks that he's seen his bottom, mm-hmm. but we know that he hasn't. Uh, and we know what is what's going to happen to make Bubbles see that. Um, so that was one right there. He tells Bubbles basically what has to happen for an ad to get over. And, you know, that's definitely a father's away for a later moment. Also, just Herc and Carver. Were they on the take? Were they not on the take? Would they take it? Would they not take it? File that away from later. Whether or not you think Herc and Carve would take money if it were available to be taken. That's a big father's away for 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 later moment as well. And uh, one scene, just like Bubbles, his introduction to the basement. Like his introduction to that basement, um, huge, 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 huge father's away for later moment right there. Those were my three. Yeah, um, and I'll just add one smaller one uh, before we moved on to what aged the best. Um, Avon, ta- uh, Avon taunting the cops. It was a file this away later for a moment that I think had some ramifications for the next episode. You know, they follow him once they get eyes on him. And in his excursion, um, which, by the way, looked like a small fucking yacht. I was like, damn, that car is big. And yeah. uh, he manages to lose the cops in like three blocks, which is amazing to me because I'm like, don't y'all know this city? But anyway, um, right. So he man, he taunts them, you know, he, give, he wags the finger, a.k.a., you know, Matumbo style at uh, Lieutenant Daniels and goes on about his business. People definitely want to file that away for later. All right. Uh, in terms of what aged the best for me, it was something I talked about at the top. The underground economy of college basketball. Avon and Stringer mm, had the same. Yeah, thing. Uh, 10K to the to Dunbar, the, the kid's name who played in the game. It was apparently headed to either Missouri, Kansas, or some other Division One school. Oh, everybody wanted him. Terps, Hoyas, Missouri, Kansas, they all want this cat. Okay, so we in the mix too now. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I I was a little disappointed that Michigan State wasn't mentioned because back in 2002. At that point, we had gone to three straight Final Fours and won a national championship. We should have been in there. Mm. Just saying. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, I mean, and but again, is the underground economy um, of that transaction represents how everybody gets a little piece. I mean, which is what mm-hmm. this whole paying college athletes uh, part is about, except for the players, uh, at least in a legitimate way, don't get a piece. But you know, the kid gets ten k. Then it's another 10, five for the coach, five for the program. And it's kind of like, hmm, the coach got five grand just for introduction? I mean, yeah. Avon could have literally walked up to this dude on the street and be like, hey, I'm Avon. I got 10 grand for you. Like, what? Right. You know, yeah. but it's the price of, of, of doing business. And so right. um, I thought that age, with everything we know about the NCAA and college basketball and how shit really works, that age exceptionally well. And on a fashion note, what also ages well, this is near to, dear to my heart as someone from Detroit, uh, Omar rocking the Cartiers. That ages exceptionally well. Glass is still mm. hot. My uh, husband, like in fact, has a couple pair of those. So I was like, oh, I know okay. those glasses. Oh, so you really like them then. Any uh, mm. what age the best moments for you? It, for me, really what I had was the uh, entire college basketball scene. This, the scheme just came out 
oh, um, right. over on HBO. Um, and when you watch the scheme, it's literally that scene. It's a, an athlete, uh, someone wanting to get close to an athlete to use that athlete's services. And then what does the athlete get? What does the middleman get? And what does the people who want the services get? Um, it kind of shows that entire thing. Uh, and when I when I see that scene, it, you almost wonder how they were able to get it so accurate. That that almost could be uh, or the, uh, the 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 transcript of a wire transfer. Um, uh, excuse me, the the transcript of a of a wire recording from one of these interactions that we've heard about on some of these different documentaries and some of these different cases that have been made public. Uh, so yeah, that to me was what aged the best. I'm going to go ahead and go to what aged the worst. Okay. For me, what aged the worst, a couple of things aged the worst. Number one, KFC. There was a time and people are not going to remember this. I'm going to make a bold statement. There was a time when KFC was viable. Now I'm not saying that you guys out there that if you don't like your, yourselves a $5 fill up, that you can't go get it because it might be tasty to you. And KFC doesn't taste bad. It's decent chicken, not like good chicken, basically. But there was a time when it was all like, oh, I might go to KFC today. Popeye's is kind of kind of just just put a, a, a chokehold around the fried chicken industries. I'm not from a place where there's a Bojangles. I know people are going crazy. Zaxby's, all of that stuff like that. But a couple of different times in the wire, you see people eating KFC because mm. KFC was a thing. Some Popeyes in there too, but it was some KFC going on in there. Also, you mentioned it. The excursion. I remember when the excursion, the excursion was the breaking point of the SUV to me. I'll tell you how. <laughs> the breaking so, point? <laughs> I'll tell you, I'll tell you how the excursion was the breaking point of the uh, of the uh of the SUV to me. So my mom had a navigator. The navigator Ooh. was a big car. Oh yeah, man. Okay. We used to be like, yeah, well, and then, and like me. Yeah, man. Me. Shout out to the homie Ryan Davenport. Uh, we would pull up to Dreams in Baton Rouge, be right there on the strip. People would ask me, I'd tell them I just got drafted out of LSU. <laughs> Dreams sounds like a strip club. Is it a strip club? Uh, no, nah, it wasn't. It was a club to where you need to look over your shoulder because it's going down at any moment in Dreams. Okay. okay? Everybody from Baton Rouge know about what, what the Dream strip used to be like. Um, and so the SUVs at that point, it was all about getting like bigger. It wasn't about like having more stuff. And when they, when they, we heard about the excursion, because it was the the explored, and it was I think it was the exposition, and then when we heard about the excursion, we was like, oh man! And then when we saw it, we were like, all right, that's too far, okay? Like, all right, that's that's like no, that's that's too much. It's that's not like, subtle that's, at all. Like, it's, it's not. It's like no, I'm I'm not, I'm not driving a tank down the streets of Baton Rouge. It's just too much. And so when I look back and I see people actually driving excursions, I think, yo, for a minute they thought the excursion was going to actually be a thing. And yeah. it turned out not to be. I laugh every time I see Avon in his 90-foot <laughs> excursion. Um, what didn't age so well... Actually, you know what? I can't even... I won't even say what didn't age well. It should have never been in there to begin with. So uh, if you... As we talked about earlier, so Bubs comes up with this plan, stealing some heroin, using a fishing hook, so I don't know if you paid attention to what the the young hopper or the project yo, as they say, was rapping because he was in there clearly practicing rhyme, and it was in I the like reason. Patty Labelle, but Regina Dog, Bell is he better. He said Patty Labelle, I like her, but <laughs> Regina Bell is better. He literally said that. 
And I was like, okay, this is how I know David Simon didn't have enough black writers. Who the fuck says? No disrespect to Regina Bell. Who She got some tracks, right? She is a phenomenal singer. She got some hits. But ain't nobody picking her over Patti LaBelle. That, that's just, just letting you know. That's just egregious. Just, let, just letting you know you hating on Regina Bell. Right I'm not now. hating. That's what I'm saying. I'm just you're, saying. You're, you're a little bit of hating. I'm not hating at all. I think Reg, my mother loved her. Regina Bell. I, <laughs> I also appreciated Regina Bell. But Patty, <laughs> Patty is an institution, man. She an institution, uh, dog. You can't, you can't have that take. It doesn't happen. Mm, <laughs> not I'll at all. You. And by the way, uh, the only reason. I'm just going to get this out the way. Man, you can have your moment. The only way, the only reason, rather, it's not a Stringer Bell fuckboy alert is because he has so little airtime, really, in this episode. Just thought I'd throw that out there. Not a, well, not a, ba- see, the less airtime, the less fuckboy you know, shit. You know what's crazy? Hmm. You actually could have came up with one. Could I, I thought d- you were going to have one. See, I'm, I'm winning you over, man. I'm winning you uh, over. No, 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 no. Because no, you're looking now. Like, you're looking. Wait, wait. I, I thought you were going to have one. You know what it is? Hmm. It's actually Stringer who picks out the player that game brings the player to You're Avon. Right, he did. And they lose the game. <laughs> Van, see, I knew it. Van, you own you own this team. Now I know I got you. I'm not, I got you. Now. I just I got you. Now. I just expected I expected you to say that. Wow. Because like he's up there that telling Avon me. how good the guy is and stuff like that. That got passed. Uh and then they lose the game. Oh, there you have it. I was I about what, to give up a, a fuckboy alert moment for Stringer Bell, and Van resuscitated it. Thank you, Van. So on top mm-hmm. of having terrible plans. Yeah. I, I, I have two off-topic things to say. Okay. Okay. One is that in this, re- in this episode, I realized something that for some reason I have forgotten upon my rewatch. One, Wallace and Bodie are the same age. Yeah, I know, right? Because he's talking to D'Angelo on the couch. I just, I just don't want to play. I just don't want to play no more. Alright? I was thinking about going to school over at Edmondson. Asked they'll let me back in at the end of the semester. What grade? Ninth. Ninth? Shit, you how old? Sixteen. Sixteen. Damn, man. You supposed to be a junior by now. While in my mind for some reason, just because of the youth on Michael B. Jordan's face and the way Wallace has uh like uh, comported himself, I thought Wallace was more around 14. I thought he was a couple of years younger. I thought he was younger as well, yeah. Than Bodie. No, he's not. I missed this. I watched, rewatched The Wire at least seven or eight times, uh, maybe more when you count the clips. Uh, but I, I always miss that. He's 16. He's the same age. So when we talked about how hardened Bodie was, Wallace is stunted in a way. He's holding on to something that's childlike because I wasn't still playing with toys at 16. Like, I wasn't still, like, playing with little things. And so it's even, his innocence is even a little bit more, like, aggressive. He's aggressively innocent, which is why he probably wear thing, wears things so hard. Um, another thing is this, and this is a lesson for The Wire. Never, ever, ever in The Wire leave to go get food. <laughs> Every time in The Wire, Somebody gets food. A, a lot of something bad happens. Something bad At happens. the end of this, at the end of this episode, Avon and Weebay in the place. You're what right. does Weebay say? The cheesesteak and the burger. To get, dude. Going to get a cheesesteak and a burger. Boom. Earlier, D'Angelo. I'm going up there to get a uh some some from Lake Trite, extra mail, whatever. He leaves, robbed. 
Later on, there's another attempt that's around people being, whenever the dope dudes specifically go to get some food, something bad happens. I would say, even when Weebay was eating the, 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 the beef sandwich. Oh, yeah. Something bad happened bad, later. Something bad happened later. That conversation led to everyone getting together when then something bad happened. Don't eat in the wire. It's connected to bad stuff. I just noticed that. Look, man, I want a sandwich. He leave to go get the sandwich. All of a sudden, Omar roll up. Now it's live. Don't eat. Don't don't go get food. That's have it. Postmates. Postmates. Yeah, I mean, it might not have been around in O two, but right. <laughs> of course, it wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't. But that's okay. But that what you just dropped. I mean, that's a major. That's a major tell. It's kind of like how in scary movies, if you if you have sex, you dead. Anybody that, anybody that fucks is dead. Like. Done. You're done, right? And so done. in the wire. And now, now I'm going to be aggressively looking for this. Mm-hmm. Anybody who eats or orders food. Oh, mm. there's another time. There's another. I, just ah, thought, you I, know. Bet, I bet we had the same. You know. <laughs> I just you thought know. about what there's I was another like, time. There's another time. I just thought when about they what. eat. Here come the food. Yep. And then yep. well, we're not going to spoil not, it. Not gonna spoil an- it. Yep. I'm telling you. I just yep. we had the same thought. Um. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, in terms of we love this show, but little uh nits to pick if you will how did omar miss how did he miss mm. like he's surgical with that thing right to to quote yeah. my man um from training day to quote denzel he i mean he had a pretty dead on shot it looked like i know we surprised him by jumping out the ride with the food he shouldn't have been getting because something bad was gonna happen but i was just like eh, was it realistic that he would miss that close well I, I watched that scene back a couple of times. So number one, if 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 Weebay wouldn't have pulled up, Omar was looking for a point blank kill shot because he could have been fired on. Um, it shows you how deliberate he is. He could have been fired on Avon. He's walking up the block, and like when he's walking up the block, Avon is on the phone the whole time. If Omar wanted to get on some uh, Tom Clancy Ghost Recon Call of Duty shit. He could have st- he could have sniped from back, kind of try to hit him from back there. I think he had a forty five, so he was really trying to act, to 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 kill with the kill shot. He was trying to be point blank range when he did it. Um, and I think a split second before, uh, I think he was shooting at a moving target. Is what I'm saying. So I think a split second before when Weebay pops up, and when Weebay pops up. Omar's basically just blasting at that point. Avon's on the move. So I think it happened like a split second before. A split second before he's like, he sees Weebay. Yo, I got the thing. Weebay's very excited about the food. Mm. And and then all of a sudden, you know, and, and now Omar, Omar's missing a little bit. And catches one. Doesn't just miss. Yeah, he catches but, uh, one too. We, yep. Once again, we see Omar as a superhero in this. Um, and we see him uh, uh, sort of, uh, we see him miss. My we love this show, but we already talked about it. We love this show, but that was not high level basketball being captured in that game. That wasn't. They they like that, like that. I mean, look, man, I've watched a lot of basketball movies, even the ones that the rest of y'all don't watch, like Heaven is a Playground and all of them movies. I watch all of that. That is the only thing. We love this show, but could have done better there. <laughs> uh one final one before we move on to a little trivia I have for people. Um the okay, you know. I'm no scientist. You know, I don't know what what dangerous households, uh, household products do, unlike our president, who seems very well versed at this. Um, but 
shouldn't if you inject Arm and Hammer into your veins, shouldn't that kill you? Shouldn't that do something to you? I don't know because because they like so I, I'll tell you why it's because a lot of times when you get stuff and and it's not if you if you get listen don't I'm not asking for anyone these are things that I that I know from secondhand sources you get stuff and it depending on the purity it's not street ready right you gotta when you when you stepping on it you step on it with caffeine sometimes you step on it with creatine sometimes you step on it with uh with um. Uh, sometimes with uh, a couple of, you can step on it with a couple of different man trying desperately not to implicate uh, himself right uh, now. Right, 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 right. That's all I'm going to say. Like, I'm not, I never did anything. All right. I'm just saying. Sure, man. We believe you. Know, you. This, right. But so I'm saying is, and, and that stuff goes in your veins. So, I mean, like it being that that stuff goes in your veins, it's essentially cut with the rest. It, I, I'm, Arm and Hammer can't be any more dangerous than actual heroin. I, I don't know. I mean, Maybe it's got can some it? Shit in Arm and Hammer, like like it might have some like rat poison. Like it's always something in these household products that is not good for you. But it's bacon soda though. You can you can brush your teeth with bacon soda. Oh well, yeah, that's true. I was just wondering. I was like, shouldn't that be? Should there have been more of a reaction? Like, and would I? I guess if I want to further just kind of pick at this, I love how they do it. And Johnny immediately knows it's Arm and Hammer, where it's just like, have you done this shit before? <laughs> that sounded like you were telling on yourself, Johnny. Like, <laughs> yep, that, that's Arm and Hammer. I could tell by the way it coursed through my veins. That was some right, Arm and Hammer. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what? Mm-hmm. All right. Word. All right. Now, a little bit of trivia. Uh, we've been talking about Poot, who, um, you know, who is the ladies' man who has given, you know, impressionable 16-year-olds who are watching The Wire some game that they didn't realize that they could have. Uh, a lovely glazed donut comparison. Poot originally auditioned for the role of Weebay. Do you know why mm. he did not get the role of Weebay? Why did not Trey Cheney? Shout out to Trey, Trey Cheney. Cheney. Yes. Why? Why didn't Trey Cheney get Weebay? He was too short. Mm. They could not have a short goon, and they hated on Trey Cheney and didn't give him the role because they. I mean. It, I, he is you could tell he's like short I mean we be ain't like six feet out here you know what I'm saying mm-hmm. you know great actor huge presence that's all that matters but Trey Cheney discriminated against for his height <laughs> short they they profiled my man for being short shout out to Trey Cheney um, man good dude so good finally the, the moment of truth man who won the episode oh, 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 oh wait oh I'm sorry did oh, I skip past okay I, I got some trivia for you oh Van, bring it. Yes. Okay. I would like to shout out Matt Harris at MPHarris9 on Twitter, who literally a week ago, two week a week ago, two weeks ago, jumped in my DMs with this. Okay. Uh I told him I was gonna give it to him. So um uh the a current lead assistant coach. For the Maryland Terrapins basketball team, Bino Ranson, okay, he plays on the West squad in the game. No. In the big game day game. He get he is the guy who gets crossed over by uh Prop Joe's ringer. Right. That that um, that, that uh, and one looking shit. Right. He's the one that gets crossed over by Prop Joe's ringer uh and 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 loses them the game. An actual real basketball player playing in that Bino Ranson is the guy's name. And now that I look, it says that Bino Ransom was uh, subpoenaed in the college basketball corruption probe. 
it comes full circle. Holy shit. That's just, oh my God. Oh my God. That yeah. is, or, wow, that or, is Orlando art imitating B- life, right? <laughs> Oh right. my God. Shout out to Vito Ranson. Shout out Vito, man. Like, Sorry this article is from, from 2018, so I, I guess Vito Ranson is is okay now. I guess it, they did, they couldn't make nothing stick. Uh, but yeah, he was actually actual. I'm sure some of those guys were also real players, but he's actually there uh, uh, in that game. Wow. That 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 ranks right up with the with the Pres Belusky one. That's a good one. That's oh, a great nugget. Matt Harris. By the way, anyone who sends me trivia where I can stump Jamil, I will say your name on the podcast because she's been making me look foolish. That is, the point is to educate our fine listeners, man, <laughs> not to make you look foolish. I'm happy to do it, but it's not to do that. It is to, to give a little more texture and a little more, um, you right. know, substance to this fine podcast. All right. Um, finally, Van, who won the episode? Prop Joe. So I got two, man. It was too obvious. It was Damn. way no, but it was it was obvious. It had to be him. It had to yeah. be yeah. Uh, prop Joe. If 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 I had somebody, um, who I thought was going to 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 be second on it, um, I would go with Omar, uh, just because there were so many meaty moments with Omar. But Prop Joe won. Prop Joe won. Uh, like it it it's a debut. It's a Press Belusky like debut. Huge win against uh But W's instead A-Ron. of L's, unlike Prez. <laughs> right, W's instead of L's. Uh, Prez lost so good that he won. Prop Joe won so good that he won. Big W, and then later on in the episode, uh, uh another big W when when you know when all when he when Omar comes to him and Prop Joe being the duplicitous round mound of sort of deception that he is he gives round Avon mound of deception <laughs> the prop joe's round mound of deception he gives avon right up just a a a, a very a huge debut huge debut for prop joe yeah no that, that it was a it was a pretty sparkling one and i can't wait till we do a deep dive into his character because so many layers um to what he brings to the wire and it you know, he he is shady, but he's he's shady and he's thoughtful. And it's sort of a, a mm. interesting mix because he's not a goon, but nevertheless, mm. he's somebody who wields a lot of power. Um, well, thanks, everybody, for listening. Remember what you've learned today. And mm. that is stay away from glazed donuts or the comparison no. to them. Real life glazed right. donuts. Good. Using them for a seduction purposes. Not so good. I think that you know what I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna do. This weekend, I'm going to carry myself over to Crenshaw and King down with my people in Lamert Park. I'm going to walk around a little bit and I'm going to cruise over to Krispy Kreme and I'm going to get me one of them sexy ass glazed donuts. I deserve it. We we in quarantine. I look like an look, 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 I look, look, I, this, this look that I'm sporting right now, this is pre-middle passage. Like this entire look, I'm gonna get me a glazed donut. Shout out to Poot, man. For the ancestors, for the ancestors. All right, for the ancestors. For the ancestors. All right, y'all, keep listening to us and keep watching the wire. We'll see y'all next time.